0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, "You in?" Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, I'm sorry to say this is the last podcast that we will have to talk about a game this season because Albion have not made the playoffs and we are going to largely pass up that opportunity to talk about a game because Pete and I have had a bit of a chat off air. And to be honest, we don't really see any huge value in sitting here and um, discussing the ins and outs of a game, which in the end, unless we could have won it six nil or by a six-goal margin, I should say, was largely meaningless. Um, Sunderland did their job, did their job comprehensively as well, uh, away at Preston, one 3-0, which meant that only a six-goal margin for Albion against Swansea, who, as we saw, are a very, very good side, would have been good enough. And realistically speaking... We're not a team that wins games by huge margins, and we were never particularly likely to go and do that. Um, we were never likely at all, to be honest. It was not a Bristol Rovers versus Scunthorpe type situation, shall we say. So rather than getting into the nitty gritty of the Swansea game, what Pete and I are going to do today is spend the majority of this podcast uh, doing a bit of a season review, looking back at the season overall and discussing. Where it went wrong, what aspects of it went right, what reasons there are to feel positive for next season, what things we need to fix. And ultimately, because we were a team that should have been challenging for the top six, we were a team that should have probably made the top six. Look at bookmakers' odds for the start of the season, the amount of money we spent, some of the big contracts we gave out in the summer, the likes of Wallace Swift, O.K. Okosluh we probably should have been in the the top six. So we will beg the question, whose fault is it that we are not in the top six? Pete, I mean, to start off with, it is obviously a huge disappointment that we didn't make the top six. In the end, we came extremely close. We came within one game. A number of results went our way on the the final day, but unfortunately, one result not enough. You could say two because you include ours, but... I was I was at the Swansea.com stadium, as it is uh, very snappily called. And I have to say, I'm sure some Albion fans will disagree with me on, on this, but I have to say, I, I believe at 2-1, I think if it had been more in our hands, I think we would have gone on to win that game. I felt that the scoreline from Preston, from Deepdale circulated around the stadium. I think the I think the players became aware of of what the of what the scoreline was, and that not only was it not in their hands, but it was really really not in in their hands. Um, I also wonder whether if we had been in a situation where we needed to hang on to a two one win rather than. At one point, there was a possibility that if we actually went and scored a couple more against Swansea, that we could have got in. And I think uh, I I do think that he probably wouldn't have brought Okay Akoselu off and um, put Taylor Gardner Hickman uh, on. And you know, nothing against Taylor, but we are more defensively solid with Okay in there than uh, rather than Taylor. And I think we maybe maybe if if, if it had been in our hands. Might have seen it out, Pete. I think there's a possibility of that, but that wasn't to be. That is the disappointment. The flip side of that coin is that after 17 games, we were bottom, and we had much bigger problems than missing out on the playoffs. League One football was a very real, real possibility at that stage. What has happened since then has been an incredible turnaround. The the run under Corbran, which... Saw, uh, saw us win I think it was nine games in, in in ten in the league was was nothing short of absolutely magnificent the home form for a very long time until it tailed off towards the end of the season was absolutely tremendous. Not only were we winning games we we barely conceded barely conceded a goal until uh, until q p r knocked those two in against us at the hawthorns so there was a lot of reasons to be positive and in in the end when when you do almost digest. Monday and kind of get over it a little bit. Whilst obviously you're going to feel disappointed about missing out on the playoffs, it's almost hard to know how to feel about this season because. I, I, I take us back to the season where we got promoted under Billich, and everybody said there was a lot. Uh, there was a lot of negativity because we stumbled over the line. We stumbled over the line. Um, we we didn't. We weren't convincing. But I kept saying, my point was, we had amassed a points total in that season under Billich, which would have got the majority of teams promoted in in the average championship season. It was enough points to finish second. So I said we'd done enough, and it really didn't matter in the 46 games when we had amassed those points. But people kept throwing momentum at me, and fair enough, it's a fair point. Well, if you're going to do that, then I think there is an element where we have to feel positive about this season because after 17 games we're we're bottom and whilst we haven't met our goal, we haven't made the playoffs and the financial implications of that could be huge and we will come on to talk about that. The momentum of the team over over Corbrand's reign, whilst it has tailed off a bit towards the end, and we will talk about the last 10 games in a moment. There is enough reason to be positive about the Corbran reign and think that as long as he doesn't have to sell the house silver and get rid of all of our best players because of the financial implications of not being promoted, if if we can retain some reasonable semblance of this squad, I think what we've seen over the... 29 games since Corbrand's first match against Sheffield United saw us go bottom, is that we've got an excellent manager. We have got some good players. We've got the core of a squad. I'm looking at the likes of Harmer, O'Shea, Townsend, Malumbi, Yukoslu, Swift, Wallace, Thomas Asante, DK, if he can stay fit long enough. And I think there's a core there to be built around. I suppose the ultimate question is, will we be able to build around them, or will we sell the majority of those players that I've just named for financial reasons, and struggle at the wrong end of the table? Or Pete, do we feel positive, despite missing out on the top six, because we've shown so much promise in the last 29 games?
0: Obviously, it was disappointing to miss out um, on the playoffs on the final day. Ultimately, it wasn't in in our hands come the end of the day, but either way it was disappointing and obviously you're going to look back and, and kind of try and pick points and find reasons why we missed out, you know, games that we dropped points in that we probably shouldn't have done uh, potential mistakes, that kind of stuff. But I think, as you say, you've got to be fairly positive on the whole that the kind of journey that we made under Corbran to go from um, the relegation zone to battling it out for the playoffs and it coming down to the final, final game of the season. Um, and it wasn't just the, the points that picked up um it was the actual performances and and yeah, I think we were well, for the second half of the season, one of the one of the best teams in in the league. Um and had we started the season better and basically had we performed better under Bruce's reign and picked up a few more points, I think we probably would have made it into the playoffs. Um and that was probably the difference. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be positive going into the next season if we've got Corbrand in charge, which Um, I mean it definitely looks like we will do but um, I think we also need to keep the core of the squad together as you mentioned Um, most of the players that you would describe as the core are tied down to deals that that should see them stop if we can afford to keep them obviously Um, everyone knows the financial issues that are going on behind the scenes and um, we may be forced to, to move some of those on just to kind of lower the wage bill but
1: and that's the concern, isn't it, Pete? Because if you're moving them on to lower the wage bill, there's always a possibility that you end up selling them cheap because the the biggest thing is to just get them off your wage bill.
0: Yeah, um, of course, and other clubs will potentially know that you may be desperate to to sell players because you need to lower the wage bill. Um, I I don't know if we will well, or you, not.
1: I mean, I, I know you're I know you're much younger than me, Pete, but I always I always go back to um to Leeds when they got themselves into a real financial mess and they were selling players like. Robbie Fowler and not only were they selling them on the cheap in terms of uh, of transfer fees but they were paying half their wages because they j- just just getting half their wages off the wage bill was was a win to them
0: i mean i, d- I don't think you want me to but i don't think i ever saw robbie fowler play um, don't think you want me to tell you that. But...
1: Oh my god, that is honestly there's there's so many that that is that makes me feel so old because I st- I still think of Robbie Fowler coming uh, coming through as this uh, as this kid prodigy and uh, and uh, and he's um, he, he's 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 nothing more than a retro player to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean that's exactly the point, isn't it? That other clubs are going to know that potentially want to lower the wage bill and, and can almost take advantage of that. But then it also depends what, what Ly wants to do. I, I won't be surprised if he took another gamble and just kind of kept the wages high. Um wasn't particularly prudent and just yeah, gambled on on promotion next season by, by keeping those players on and, and not trying to reduce the, the spending of the club and make it more mm-hmm. financially stable for the future. So,
1: I suppose to a certain extent as well, Pete, it depends on what Corbrand says because I mean he's made the right noises in his post match interview talking about look, I need to know what the what the budget is so that we can get to start, get to work right away and start building a squad that West the West Bromwich Albion fans can be proud of and and a, and the squad that we need but it it depends if the conversation with Corbrand is if you sell Wallace Swift, Yukoslu, Mulumbi, O'Shea from under me. I walk. If that is the conversation, then you've got, you've got to wonder whether that will influence decision-making as well. Because for me, you, you look, we, we need to, we, we obviously need to keep our best players. I, I, I we cannot go through a full squad rebuild. It, it It's fine to get rid of some of the fringe ones, but, but we can't, we can't get rid of the ones who are actually good players core to this squad because we won't be able to replace them. But, the one thing I really don't think we can afford to replace is Corbran.
0: Yeah, and he's not going to accept accept his key players being sold because. Well, that's why sense, he walked
1: away from Huddersfield.
0: Exactly, he needs to protect himself. Um, there's no point in him staying and trying to do a job with a depleted squad when he can just walk and keep his reputation intact and intact and um, probably go on and get get another good job because he's putting some. Well, he's turned it around for us, really, hasn't he? And as I say, we've been probably one of the better teams in the league in the second half of the season, so I think plenty of clubs will be keeping their eye on him if he does even think about walking so yeah, I think he'll he'll be putting pressure on the club to um to keep the players and in terms of the football we'll see next season, it'll be beneficial and probably for the results, but it's definitely well from everything that I've seen in the accounts and and the spending that we're making and um the income that we're expected to have, it'll be a bit of a gamble. So it's, I mean, there's both positives and, no- and negatives, but yeah, I think you do have to be careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I'll put my cards on the table. We 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 are going to do a um a bit of a sort of like transfer slash squad analysis pod um next week, which is not what this is going to be. But, uh, but largely because I don't want to do that today because Action for Albion have asked today for a meeting. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, by the way. They they have asked today for a meeting with, uh, with Ken um, and they do want some answers about where the club stands financially. And they, they've they asked for dates in May. So they're asking for this meeting imminently. So it would be nice if... I, I mean, I don't know whether... In a few days' time, we will have more information. We probably won't, because I can't imagine Albion are going to be overly forthcoming with 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 such information. They're certainly not going to volunteer it. I think there's going to have to be a level of pressure um, exuded before we will get to a point where we where we get that. But I think it's I think it's important to have that conversation with a bit of a a lens on on what we we can or cannot do. The the slight uplift with the new broadcast deal from the EFL is definitely welcome, but let's be honest about it. It it It's barely a dent in what we owe. So, I mean, I very much welcome action for Albion, putting pressure on the club to get a meeting to, to find out where, where we stand in terms of the finances and what their plans are, are going forward. I think the big thing for me, Pete, whatever happens, what whatever the financial situation of the club is, We've got to start recruiting more intelligently. I don't... I, look, as as everybody who re- listens to this pod regularly knows from the complimentary things I say about them week in, week out, I am a big, big fan of O.K. Koslu, John Swift and Jed Wallace. So please don't take what I'm about to say in any way as derisory towards them. But we should not have signed them. We should not have signed those three players on long-term contracts on wages that we could not afford, we should have gone out and signed more intelligently, gone and got, found some younger players or some players from the lower leagues or from abroad on lesser wages. Because from what I what I understand, the uh, uh, Swift and Wallace are on upwards of thirty thousand pounds a week. Yukoslu will be on upwards of twenty thousand pounds a week. That is not sustainable for a championship club, and my big concern, as we stand at this moment in time, Pete, probably even more so than the finances which which threaten the club, is that we still we still have not, to my eye, done one jot of work to improve the recruitment department, which has Ian Pearce and what little staff he seems to have, which. My last check included his son, has epically failed us over the past few. You know, over the past few years, the good signings we've brought in seem to have been more luck than judgement. Come from living near Steve Bruce or his his son in law recommending them. We need a recruitment team worthy of the name, and that and the fact that we have not fixed that problem, Pete, scares me more. The it genuinely scares me more than the finances because even if we got the finances in a reasonable state, or we sold players for enough money or got them off the wage bill that we could afford the repayments and all the other stuff that we've got going on, I don't, we haven't got a recruitment department that can actually do intelligent recruitment by players that will appreciate in value that we can then sell on for more because that's the club we need to become. We need to become like Brentford, who Bring in more pay, sell him for a load of money. Then bring in Ollie Watkins, sell him for a load of money. Bring in Ben Rama, sell him for a load of money. Replace them with Ivan Toney. Sell. Uh, uh, they will sell him for a load of money at some point. That's the club we need to become. But at the moment, we we are we're so obvious with our dealing, and we're not we're not getting value. In the market, and until Ron Rongole actually lives up to his promise and does some work on that recruitment department, we are not going to become a self-sustaining football club, are we?
0: As you say about the about smart recruitment, um, it's quite easy to go out and spend a load of money bringing good players, but I suppose the the really good work is when you you don't spend in loads of money bringing in good players. Um, do, which... do
1: you do you concur with that, Pete? That the the statement I made a little bit earlier that. As much as you and I, and we both love those three players—Swift, Wallace, and Yukoslu, we should not have signed them.
0: Yeah, definitely not all three because they're good. Well, they just kind of the wages burden the club long term. Obviously, they're top quality and very, very good players at this level. But and and and
1: they and they are not—they're not the reason we're not in the playoffs. If anything, they're the reason that we got anywhere near the playoffs, and it's important to make that point.
0: Yeah, but if you, I mean obviously it'd be difficult to sign players of the same quality for a lot less money, but you're looking for similar at least or maybe you do, you sign one of them and then a few players that are going to cost you a lot less, but can put up similar kind of performances. Um, but obviously that's difficult. Not every club can do that. And that's about the, the re- recruitment department. And I know we have a, brought in a couple of um, scouts, but I think they're more local scouts for the lower leagues around the um West Midlands, but um I can't imagine you'd be picking up too many first team players from there, but probably more to do with the U setup. Yeah, in terms of the senior scouting, I'm not really sure whether any progress has been made in in changing the setup for that. Certainly
1: not certainly not really at the top end of it, Pete, because I mean what we've been crying out for and what we've been what we've been saying for ages is we need a sporting director.
0: Yeah, and obviously I mean there was talks of getting a board that had more football experience and was more involved in transfer decisions, but um, I'm not even sure how far that actually came along. Um, obviously, Gourlay is very heavily involved, and and last summer it seems to be Gourlay and, and Bruce that, that led the whole recruitment. But that's it's not a very effective model for it. Um, so it's yeah, we, we still seem to be a bit behind in in terms of what is kind of the the gold standard for recruitment setups within a club.
1: Yeah, and we seem to. And the other thing is, as well, Pete, it's not just recruiting players, it's recruiting managers. And when you haven't got that consistency from the top, you have a haphazard approach to appointing managers. You also, I, I don't believe that one man with complete autonomy is ever a good way to run a football club. And it seemed like, for certainly for a period of time, that's what Ron Gourlay had because he hired Steve Bruce who we all know he has a strong pre-existing relationship with he then kept him on in the summer when Bruce hadn't done badly after um well he hadn't done he hadn't done well after uh, after uh, after um, Val went i mean let's be fair we we tumbled from uh, from fifth down to mid table but he hadn't he, he, he i mean it wasn't appalling levels but it, it, there was no indication that bruce was going to be the right man to take us forward he then gives him this season or attempts to give him this season and let's be honest whilst and we will look at the last 10 games of this season in a moment because there's a clear drop off in form and nobody's going to deny that and nobody is going to deny uh, sit uh, sit here and try to convince anybody that there was anywhere near the same level of performance in the last 10 games under Corbran as there was in the previous 19. But it is it is worth saying that the damage was done, Pete, in the 13 games before we sacked Steve Bruce, where we won one. That's that, let, Let's be fair about it. If we are trying to pinpoint where this season went wrong, it's one win in 13 at the start of the season there's there's no debate about that and and what that then points to is i said at the top we were going to we were going we to discuss who is responsible for us not making the playoffs well steve bruce to an extent but by extension of that it's ron goley for not pulling the trigger earlier or or even giving or even giving bruce the season in the first place
0: yeah i don't think it was well, from a fan perspective, it didn't seem too too difficult to say that Bruce wasn't going to be the man that we needed in charge. Um, I think at the time, I wasn't too against him staying because I thought we'd got a good enough squad that it was just going to be like that they could kind of figure things out for themselves on the pitch. But that obviously proved to not be the point. And we didn't pick up enough points under Bruce this season, which ultimately has, has cost us towards the end of the season. You, you feel if we'd pulled the trigger a little bit earlier on him that. Corran might have had a bit more time and might have picked up the, what is it, extra four points that we needed to to sneak into the playoffs. So then you look at, at why Bruce stayed at like the time that he did, um, despite performances not being there, despite results not being there. And then and then you come to Gourley, don't you? And as you say, it's you can definitely, I think, hold some of the blame for, for not pulling the trigger early and not getting rid of Bruce and, and bringing in the new manager a little bit earlier. But yeah, I mean, Obviously, that's not the only reason. There's multiple reasons. Um, we've spoken quite a lot about injuries, and especially to the to key players. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think we've both agreed that that has also played quite a large role in it.
1: Yeah, because you you're going to get injuries, aren't you? In in a particularly in a season like this, where it's where where it's truncated because you've got the World Cup in the middle. That means you're going to have a lot of a lot of um, games in a short period of time, and, and whilst yes we've been we our results have been poor in the last 10 games of the season it's worth saying that we played nine of those games in just over five weeks so there was it was inevitable that at some point this season was going to take its toll on, uh, on and and it and it has on most teams to be honest at some point because you've you've only got to look at a lot of the teams up there and how Watford have fallen away heavily. Norwich have fallen away heavily. Blackburn have uh, have missed out. I think they, they, that 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 somebody somebody said to me that was their first uh, first win in eight. I think it was um it was it was the win over Millwall. Something crazy like that. They've they've thrown points away in ninety fifth minutes of games. Millwall's run uh, uh, run towards the end of the season was dreadful. They, I mean they 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 went they went multiple games of that even scoring let alone let alone winning and yeah okay a few teams have come on strong but they haven't had to come on really strong to make the playoffs to be honest with you and you you look at the amount of points it's taken 69 that's as low as it's ever been that's that equals the lowest points total it has ever taken to make 6th so it's not like it, it it's not like anybody has managed to string together any real consistency in this season. The there was always going to be a difficult period for most clubs where because very few clubs have any real money in, in post covid in this division. This was always going to be a poor league because teams were including us because teams can't afford to recruit quality from the premier league because they can't afford the wages they can't afford the players that aren't getting games at premier league clubs because those th- those players go well okay but you need to at least give me some semblance of what I'm on at premier league club can't get anywhere near that can't get anywhere near that so players are just sitting it you know, out at premier league clubs because they because they, they they get the money there and they and championship clubs can't afford to can't afford to pay them and half the time they can't afford loans let alone anything else so it's a poor league And squads are shrunken, without a shadow of a doubt, compared to previous years. So most clubs are going to have a dip. But what you can't do is you can't give yourself a mountain to climb from early on in the season. You can't say, okay, we're going to have a go at the the, the playoffs, but we're going to do it from a position of bottom of the table after 17 games with two wins in that period of time that our initial manager is going to get one win in in 13 with signings that, that are on 30 grand a week. You can't give yourself that mountain to climb. We didn't miss out on the playoffs because of Corbran. Because what Corbran has earned over the course of the piece is I think I worked it out 1.79 points per game. That's enough to get you in the playoffs. In fact, that would strung out over a whole season. Would have been enough to have us finish third this season. So Corbrand did enough. Yes, he's had a dip in the last ten games, but 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 you know that is the nature of this season. It was always going to balance out at at at, at some point. You get intense periods of the season. You lose some players. You know, you get some uh, you get some results here, but you drop some results there. It's happened for us. It's happened for Millwall. It's happened for Blackburn. Sunderland have had their dips. Coventry have had their dips. Every team has had their dips this uh, this season. But you cannot give yourself an almost impossible task after seventeen games and expect to get it to get in the playoffs and the reason we missed out is because of those 17 games and most prominently the first 13 but also Pete it's not only i said about you worry about recruiting managers and the plan for recruiting managers it's not only the fact that we gave bruce 13 games which is absolutely crazy but we then t- took it then took us 3 games under the and nothing against Beal, he did He he won one of them, which which was great. But it took us it took us three games. It took us over from from the point where we got rid of got rid of Bruce, which was after the game on the eighth of eighth Oct- uh, of October. Uh, the first game for Corbran was Sheffield United on the twenty ninth. Some three weeks later. That's too long. If you've got a plan, if you've actually got an idea of who you want, you replace your manager a, a lot quicker than that. And maybe the Bristol City game and the the Millwall game, which we dropped points in, maybe you don't.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing. And I think it was after, well, we'd, we'd had an international bridge before we um, sacked Bruce, which kind of seemed like it would have been the perfect opportunity to, to start your your new manager search. Was, and... was,
1: was that draw at Norwich? In hindsight, actually, a terrible result for us because it saved him.
0: Well, yeah, it seems like it might be that way. If that's the reason that he was able to keep his job, we'd have been better off probably losing it and, and replacing him a little bit earlier. We might have picked up points in those those games afterwards, and and maybe even more um, in the games that Bill took charge of. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's just having the
1: well, just just to put some numbers on that, Pete. If we ha- if uh, bearing in mind that Norwich game. Uh, came just before a international break. If we had fired Bruce after the after the draw with Norwich and presuming we'd used the international break intelligently and got a new manager in in that two-week period and say, hypothetically, it still would have been Corbran, Corbran would have had six more games as West Bromwich Albion manager. Six.
0: Yeah, and when did you say he was averaging 1.7 points per game? If that's one point
1: one point seven nine, so nearly 1.7. 1.8.
0: So, you know that's what an extra, maybe eleven points or so, between ten and eleven points. So, yeah, plenty, plenty enough to um to get you into the playoffs. Um, when you look at the end of the season points tallies, but you know that's it is all hypothetical. But
1: well, it finishes you fourth, doesn't it?
0: it yeah, finishes you I above mean, Borough. Yeah, it definitely. I think you can definitely ask the question why we didn't do it a bit earlier. I think I don't think it really took. Yeah, I don't think it would have really taken a genius to, to realize that we needed to, to get rid of him. Um, but we seem to, yeah, just not be willing to pull the trigger early enough. And like I say, that international break seemed like it would be the perfect opportunity to, to start the search for a new manager, give them a bit of time with the squad. Um, and, and yeah, but, you know, we didn't use it. And, and maybe now you can say that we paid the price for it when you look at the end of the season.
1: Well, the, the, the point at which you and I started talking about, maybe bruce's on borrowed time was the game before that was the was the birmingham home game where it all went really really wrong for you is is that the, uh, i mean that that was one win in nine at that point that that defeat to birmingham at the hawthorns the the 3-2 defeat was was that the point where he had to go was was one win in nine for a manager that let's be honest very few people if anyone thought we should have gone into the season with as manager, uh, 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 anyone who wasn't Ron Gourlay or Alex Bruce, of course. Was that the point at which he should have gone? I know this is all hypothetical, but I uh, looking back and, and the conversations we had on this very podcast, Pete, I think that was the point at which we were looking at it and going, I think up to that point, we, uh, uh, because people will say, well, actually you defended Bruce. And I think we did to a point because because what we were saying was the the performances, the results we were getting were not reflective of the performances. We were being highly critical of the fact that Steve Bruce wasn't dropping David Button, which is the the other thing that was absolutely crazy, that Bruce took 11 games to drop David Button. I mean, that, that was just crazy. And that's another decision that's cost us. But I think up until the point at which we lost to Birmingham, I think, Pete, you and I were sitting there and going well there's actually hope here because we're just missing a lot of chances actually we should be getting a lot more out of at the games that we're playing but when you looked at birmingham and you and you saw bruce play a high line with Kyle bartley at centre half and get exploited in behind by scott hogan who let's be honest isn't exactly lightning it wasn't like it wasn't like nathan teller running in behind you thought this guy hasn't got a clue and that was the, that that was the moment i'll be honest for me that Birmingham City game was the moment I lost, or certainly heavily lost, any faith I had in Steve Bruce being r- the right man to manage West Bromwich Albion. And uh, for me, that's the moment that I think, if Ron Gourlay had not been his pal, I think any independently minded ch- uh, chairman, owners, chief executive who didn't have a relationship with with the uh, with the manager, I think that's the moment that he probably would have got rid, which as we as it turns out was four games earlier than when he actually did get rid of him.
0: Yeah, um and even if you look at the data behind it and the expected goals, you know, you can take that to look at performance levels. Um and if you look at the expected goal difference, then it wasn't really that great under Bruce and it was quite quickly declining. Um I think it had if it hadn't been for the for the whole city game where we won I think it was five two quite a lot of chances. Then it would look even worse. Um, but that game was a bit of an anomaly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was quickly declining and I think it was obvious before and leading up to the Birmingham games that, that things were, were not great and that something probably needed to change. Um, but we waited a bit longer and it, it started to decline even more. And, um, we'll put a result to show later in the week. But yeah, it's, it's quite obvious that. Decline that happened, and, and why we probably should have pulled the trigger a little bit earlier. Performances weren't that weren't there, so it wasn't just results.
1: People will say, um, Chris, Pete, okay, it's all well and good having a go at Bruce, but you 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 you're ignoring you're ignoring the last ten games. And look, that's fa- that's fair comment. We're not we're not going to uh, we're not going to ignore the the last ten games. But it is it is worth saying that we've you know we've had a, we've had a poor run we've had a poor run in in the last 10 games I think it's um, i think it's 12 points from the last 10 games I think I'm right in saying but more, more more worryingly is the amount of points dropped uh, there's there's a statistic been doing the rounds in the last few days that we dropped 25 points from winning positions this season the most of any team in the championship i mean that's bad but what's even more concerning is when you look at when we dropped those points and twelve, well, thirteen of those drop points came in the last ten games of the season. So we dropped 13 points from winning positions in the last ten games of the season. I I look at Cardiff away onwards and say that is the moment that the injuries caught up with us in a massive way you you go back to the moment we had to bring dk off because he was exhausted and we and corbrand didn't feel he could bring brandon thomas Asante on at that point and we went without a striker and and cardiff equalized that was that was the point at which this season caught up with us for me and from that point on we just dropped a lot of points from winning positions there's a big difference but a subtle difference. If it, maybe, maybe, you could, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a paradox. Maybe you can't have a big and subtle difference at the same time. But there is a difference between giving valid reasons and making excuses, but it's one that's not always appreciated. And people will say that when you point at the injury list for Albion, that it's making excuses for Carlos Corbran in the last 10 games. I don't view it like that. I view it as giving reasons. And when I look at those last 10 games, yes, we dropped a lot of points from winning positions. We shouldn't be doing that, but we have lost Daro Shea and we, we're going to actually do a little focus in a second on the impact of losing Daro Shea because I think Pete Nine. now that we've actually had a chance to trawl through because we we tend to do this pod game by game and and analyse things game by game, and I think when when we've actually had a chance to trawl through the data, that actually I think we both view the injury of Daryl Shea as probably one of the most significant events in Albion's drop off at the end of the season, but we also have played for weeks with. A half-fit, okay, Koslu, A half-fit, Jason Malumbi. A half-fit, Jed Wallace. These were all. Um, the, these uh, these facts were all introduced in a, in a Lewis Cox article, which he, where he did an interview with um, uh, with um, Carlos Corbrand the other week. We have played through the pain barrier. We've lost basically our whole left hand side, and it's affected us. It's impacted us, and I just think the injuries caught up with us massively in those last ten games, but. When people throw around that stat around points dropped from winning positions, that really, when you look at thirteen of them being dropped in the last ten games, so only twelve of the twenty-five actually being dropped in the thirty-six games that came before that, that's really where I've, we've cost ourselves is that in terms of in terms of the season catching up with us because I think we were in a decent place if we had done the work earlier in the season which we should have done and if we'd had a more competent manager and all those sorts of things maybe the last 10 games don't impact us in the same way but once we're in that position i think people were going into those last 10 games especially after three wins in four which we just picked up before that i think a lot of people were looking and going wow you know we could we could really do something here we we, we could really push on towards the playoffs. And I just think the injuries massively caught up to us and it it led to us dropping a lot of points in games where we went ahead.
0: Yeah, we had so many injuries to key players towards the end of the season. Um, Obviously, Dara was a massive one. Um, Losing DK towards the end didn't help either. Um, Obviously, Grady and Matt Phillips out wide. Um, And then, you know, nursing... Even, could even
1: reach, mate. Even reach, because reach came in and actually played well for a couple of games, and then has hit, had his season ended.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's so many. We just had so many injuries, and well, it just felt like it was going to be impossible to just to to keep up and keep playing a squad that's a rested enough and be good enough to actually compete because everyone just seemed to be, you know. To drop into the floor and and going off injured. I mean Chalaber as well. I even forgot about him when we're trying to nurse Malumbi and Yakuslu to get through as many games as possible with their injuries that they were playing with. Um, and then we lose Chalaber. So it's yeah, there was you know so many injuries and, and maybe he can.
1: He could have been a big option off the bench as well, couldn't he? Because he seemed to be. I think part of the problem with 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 Malumbi and Yukoslu and not being able to bring them off is it is that is that. I don't think Corbran overly trusts Taylor in games where we're ahead. I think he sees him as a bit of a liability at the moment. I think he does actually trust Chalaber. And I think if he'd had Chalaber available, I think he would have man- managed Molumby and Yokoslu's minutes a bit more.
0: Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say is that maybe he can, and we've spoken about it before, but maybe he can look at the manager and the coaching staff and question whether they had um, a role to play in the number of injuries that we we're picking up, or was it just, Purely bad luck and a really, um, well, a really busy time of the season, which obviously it was. But yeah, I think you can maybe ask questions whether the training was a bit too intense or he was asking a bit too much of his players.
1: Is it also a factor, Pete, that it's not his squad? I.e., he clearly didn't overly trust the likes of Taylor, Jake Livermore. Um, He you know, couldn't get like Martin Kelly out the door fast enough. Um, there, there was, there was other. I mean, he, he and even before he got injured, he didn't want to, he didn't want to use Reyes Cleary. You know, there's because it's not Corbrand's group of players that he's created, he's put together. It, it, when, when, when it got, when he got down his option list, you felt like. You felt, you felt like he didn't want to make substitutions in games because he looked behind him when he was stood on the touchline and didn't like what he saw.
0: And that's probably something, one of the reasons that you can have positives for next season is that even with the squad that Colbran inherited, he, he couldn't he couldn't really make any changes to it. He brought Chalabra and Albrighton in. Um, but I think there was probably very few players that, we can actually bring in anyway, so I think his, you know, his options were very limited there anyway. Um, but he, he's put together that and kind they, of level and, of performance, and we didn't,
1: we missed out on Hutchinson, which, which I have to say, in hindsight, looks like a massive, massive loss.
0: Yeah, of course. And you know, with the players that we that he inherited, he still managed to to put together that level of performance. So next season, if he can bring in a couple of players that he wants and Maybe he's got a tiny bit of money that he can spend on them. Then it'll be to see what he can do with, you know, a few more players that are suited to the way that he wants to play and, and the kind of players that he likes. So that's definitely a positive going into next season. Yeah. I think it's just definitely going to be something interesting to look at in the, in the transfer window, whether there's players that he looks to move on that he hasn't fancied and, um, and what kind of players he, he will look to bring in.
1: And that's something that we will go into m- in more depth on the next pod because we're actually going to go through different areas of the squad. Basically, say who we would like to say see stay, um, who we'd like to see go, Very, but in a realistic way. You know, the players that we think that the club can actually move on uh, that that they can't because I, I, it always really annoys me when people just say, "Yeah, move him on," like like getting rid of a player with a contract is an easy thing. They, they, they have no, uh, I mean, look, we've just seen it for four years with Ken Zahor. It's virtually impossible. If nobody wants to buy them and uh, and they don't want to go, what, uh, what are you, what are you supposed to do? So we will do it very much through the lens of who realistically could be moved on as well. And we'll have, we'll throw a few names into the pot of players that we think are realistic targets, given the, very very strict financial constraints. We expect the club to operate under. Um, who we think the club could uh, could look to bring in. We'll we we'll, we we'll chuck a few of those around. Be interesting to see if we do as well as last year, Pete. Because um, we we uh, we 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 pretty much nailed it with uh, with Swift and Wallace. But I don't think either of us are giving ourselves massive pats on the back uh, 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 with those ones because they seem so blooming obvious. But we will return to the transfer aspect of it. However, we'll take a quick break there, and then after the break, I want to focus on the injury to Daro Shea because I think Pete, both Pete and I, from the chats we've had off air prior to uh, prior to starting this pod, believe that that was a really, really significant moment in our season. Planning for your next trip. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Well, hello, and welcome back to Albion Analysis. So, before the break, I mentioned we were going to talk about Dara O'Shea. So, that's let's do just that. Of course, Dara not injured playing for West Bromwich Albion, but actually injured away on Ireland duty. Had his season ended after the Cardiff City game. So, prior to the Millwall game, um, which you know, on the 1st of April. Now, Pete, I've got to be honest, I I know that Dara was a big, big loss, but at the time, I kind of thought, okay, it's it's a loss, but I think Semi can step in, we've got Kyle Bartley on the way back. I thought, maybe, just maybe, we're going to be all right here. And I don't think I really realised the level of impact this injury had until I started looking at the numbers in preparation for this pod. Cause I knew we were going to do a bit of a season review. So I went on to FB Ref, and I wanted to have a look at kind of the, the data and the numbers around each of our games and see at what point our numbers started to nosedive a little bit. And it was really interesting because it coincides directly with Dara getting injured. So Dara, as I say, the last game he played was the Cardiff away game, and then we played Millwall at home. From that Millwall home game, we played nine games in the rest of the season. Now, we had an XG against of over one goal in six of those nine games. Now, that might not seem like a great deal to you until I tell you that in the nine games before we lost Dara to injury, we had an XG against of over one goal in only two of nine. So it has trebled the amount of games that we have that we have got an XG against of over 1.0. We were, con- we were conceding an XG against of under a goal in seven out of nine games with Dara in the team, and it drops to just three out of nine without him. And to just add that up into numbers, our total XG against in the nine games before Dara got injured was 8.8. So we we were expected to concede just uh, almost nine goals in those nine games. Although it's worth saying that the vast majority of those goals that we were expected to concede it came in the Watford game in the nine games after Dara got injured. It's jumped by three and a half goals to 12.3. Pete, we we just couldn't defend without him, could we? All of a sudden, we have gone from being one of the most solid teams in the league. We we, we weren't conceding a goal at home. I don't I don't think we'd I don't think we conceded a goal from open play at home under Corbrand at that point. And then Dara gets injured, and I mean just just looking just looking purely at home. We concede two against QPR. We concede two against Sunderland. We concede against Norwich. You know, suddenly we're shipping goals at home. We've conceded three against Swansea on the final day. We've conceded two at Sheffield United. We conceded at Stoke. Conceded three at Rotherham. We've gone from a team that was watertight at the back with Dario Shea there to without him being porous to be honest.
0: Yeah, he was a massive loss when um he got injured and um you know he'd been extremely solid at the back and he was wearing the wearing the armband most weeks, wasn't he? So I suppose that's the, the leadership element of it that you lose as well. Um but he was probably our best defender under um Gorbrand. He seemed to be extremely calm on the ball, helped build up um and was very good with the ball at his feet which again not it wasn't just the defensive side of his game that we seem to miss it was just his all-round ability um, and his technical technical ability to help us move the ball forward and just kind of calm things down as well um HI can be a bit more um you can just seem a bit panicked on the ball sometimes and probably doesn't help his teammates with that as well but
1: and I suppose into that comes the leadership element. Just to just to build on what you're saying there, Pete, um, you say uh, about his leadership element, he was wearing the armband. He'd worn the armband in every single West Bromwich Albion League game since, uh, uh, the, uh, since the first one where he pulled on the armband. 1-0 win over Bla- Blackpool. The first win under Corbrand. Just tells its own story, doesn't it?
0: Yes, yeah, so it was more than uh, most weeks he was wearing it. It was every week he was wearing it. Um, so yeah, I don't think that can help when you, you lose your captain either. Um so uh, it was a range of things that we actually lost when Darrow got injured. It wasn't just, you know, a good centre back that's gonna help us defend. It was um obviously the defensive side of his game, but also the you know, his ability in possession. Um and he seemed to adapt to what Corbran was asking him to do really well, probably the best of any of our centre backs. Um and he just looks extremely comfortable in, in that system, but the leadership as well. So, yeah, it was an absolutely massive loss. And, and you mentioned the numbers there. And if you look at the um, expected goal difference, so just kind of the, the level of performance, it, it massively, massively dropped off around that the same time as the injury. We went from having an average um, expected goal difference per game of just short of one, um, which is kind of automatic motion form, um, down to you know, less than zero, so in, a negative expected goal difference, which is lower mid-table form. And I think the fact that it coincided with um, O'Shea's injuries, there's probably actually something to be to be read into there. I'd say that it's, missing O'Shea has had that impact and, and led to that, rather than it just being a coincidence. Um, and it it just highlights the um, impact that she was having in the side, and how much we missed him when he did, did get injured.
1: I mean, he would seem to be one of the one of the the prime candidates to be sold in the summer because he's obviously got some got some value. I mean, do you, do you almost hope that because he's injury, people might shy away from taking him off us because he seems like a hugely important player?
0: Yeah, he does seem hugely important, but at the same time, he doesn't seem to have the kind of excitement around him that some players do so I don't think he's got he probably just hasn't had the attention that he deserves um, for his performances which may be beneficial to to Alvin obviously each club will be doing their own research and probably should have picked up on it but um, in terms of you know media attention he, he doesn't seem to get the praise that some other players do which which might benefit us and so might the injury but yeah I do hope that we can keep him going to next season
1: and one other stat that I picked up on, Pete, was that, you know, when we talk about how we dipped towards the end of the season, it was noticeable that for how much we went onto the back foot in games. And in the last six games of the season, n- not in one single game did we have over half the possession, which is crazy because in the previous six, We'd had over fifty percent of the possession in in all of them. I just think everything that we look at in those last ten games, just I mean I don't and I don't think Dara's injury helped with with the possession stats either. By the way, because as you've highlighted a number of times this season, he's our avenue out from the back, and I don't think Ajayi or Peters are anywhere near as good at distributing the ball out from the back as he is. But I think it all just—it just all smacks of we ran out of legs, didn't we? The the season, the season was just probably ten games too long for us, unfortunately, or or or, or started ten games too early. Which which basically, if we could just get rid of the nice little bookendy bits—the ten at the back, the ten at the end, and the ten at the start—we'd have a lovely old time, wouldn't we?
0: Well, we wasted the first ten games as well. When you look at the table, but yeah, we definitely seem to run out of legs, you know, it's which probably isn't surprising when you look at the number of players that we had out in had out injured and I mean generally the, the starting eleven were playing every week and playing the majority of minutes as well. So it can't have been easy on them. So yeah, it's I, I do think it kind of would have been a bit of a, a miracle if we had made it into the playoffs with the number of injuries that we did have because we were just yeah running out of players, players Playing through injuries, yeah, it was never going to be easy when that's the situation. But um, we definitely gave it a good shot. But as you say, run out of legs, and and it just, yeah, we kind of we did tail off a little bit towards the end of the season.
1: A lot of criticism before we get on to uh, before we get on to a lot of criticism for us, Pete, because I'm going to go through our preseason predictions. Which um, uh, be be warned, mate it's not pretty <laughs> but um before we get on to that just there is there has been a, a level of criticism for the style of football that um it's a little too slow little little too lethargic handbrake on is another expression that 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 i hear as well do you think that our style needs to evolve or was our style a victim of circumstance and actually what we may well see at the start of next season, as long as we've got the right players, is a return to what Corbrand was doing earlier on in his reign that was so successful. Or did Corbrand's football get a little bit found out, and that uh, and and that and that maybe he does need to have a little bit more of a quicker start quicker back to front style of play uh, in his in his locker i uh, for example i was looking at how Swansea got out from the back against us on monday and uh, and i thought wow if only we could do that if only we could actually move the ball through the thirds the way the way that they do but then it didn't seem to be it didn't seem to be an enormous problem for uh, for sort of like 15 games and, under Corbran. maybe it was just the injuries or maybe there is a little bit of an evolution of style that needs to happen uh, to make us continue to be successful next season. Uh, what do you think?
0: Well, I think we're quite adaptable. I mean, in terms of the Swansea game, I thought thought we, we were obviously trying to pick them off because we knew that they were going to want to play out from the back and they're generally very good at it. But there was a couple of times that we caught them out and, and pressed high and won the ball back off them. I think I'm right in saying that the first goal came from that. Yeah, did, it did it indeed.
1: Back, it did indeed.
0: When we did win it back, we were we were pretty, you know, quick to to move it around and try and create chances. So I think we're just kind of adaptable and, and patient at times. Um when we when we do kind of start from self possessions we are quite slow to build up, but I think so are a lot of teams at the minute. Um and it's it's not necessarily a problem. Um it just it's it's all horses for courses really, isn't it? It depends who you're playing up against. Against Swansea a team that are gonna take risks playing out from the back. If you can get the press right and press them higher, then then that's a a good way to play. Um, and we did see um, rewards for it, but you also take the risk that if they, you know, break through that that pressure, then you maybe don't have enough men back. So I quite like that we're adaptable. Um, and we're not just in, we don't just have kind of one um style of play that we just stick to. Um, that we've seen under some of our recent managers. Um, so yeah, I think we're quite well suited for. Going into next season, going in with Corbrand, and yeah, personally, I don't have any complaints about it um, because.
1: And I don't think e- either of us have any question that Corbrand's the right man to lead us into into next season. I, I and I th- I think I think we I think we'd look very very quizzically at any Albion fan who doesn't believe he's the right man to lead us forward, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, definitely. You just have to look at where where we started and where we've where we've got to under him. Um, and I mean, if you just think back to. That run that we had around the New Year, where we we just, well, I think it was just a completely unbeaten run, wasn't it? It wasn't just the home form that was incredible; it was just overall. Um,
1: yeah, just just the just the one just the one defeat to Coventry, um, uh, which was the last minute penalty punctuated it. That was that was it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you definitely wouldn't have any complaints from anyone then, and yeah, I, I think over a full season, you're definitely going to see patches of similar runs of form. Probably not quite that because that was. Incredible, but yeah, I think if you give Cobran a full season with you know a bit more influence on the players that he's got in his squad, then you are going to see patches where patches of form where we go unbeaten and and just winning games for periods of the season. Obviously, you are not going to do it for the full season. Nobody can do that. Um, but I think the fact that he is adaptable, it, it it is definitely beneficial to to picking up results in in games, and rather than you know you can spot weaknesses of opposition and and then kind of build your Gameplay on that, obviously. Obviously, game to game, there's the similarities in each performance and style of play, but there's definitely tweaks of how he wants to um, press and build up against different opposition, which is, I think, probably the best way to to set up as a as a team.
1: Well. That's enough of that, Pete, because the, the, we, we, we're only we're only here for the important thing anyway, which is how the how the preseason predictions have done. How, how are you? How are you feeling about your your chances on this? I've got the results in front of me. Um, I don't I don't know whether you whether you've listened back, whether you remember what you what you said, but uh, how how are you feeling about what you what you went with pre-season?
0: Um All I can remember is that I went with. I think player of the season or fans player of the season. I think you went Wallace, I went Swift. But I think Swift did technically get more goal involvements after that last game, didn't
1: he? Uh well, the, the he he did, except for um that was a separate category. So I'll run okay. you through them. Um we 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 both predicted Albion to finish fourth, obviously a little way out there, unfortunately. Maybe if we'd got rid of Bruce a little earlier, that could have been oh so different. Um, We both predicted Albion's top scorer to be DK. Now, I think we can both uh, whilst we don't get this one technically correct, I think we can both feel a little hard done by um, and maybe just give ourselves a slight pat on the back although it was the obvious answer for this one because first of all Brandon Thomas Sante wasn't a West Bromwich Albion player at the point at which we made these predictions so um, to predict him would have taken some serious level of clairvoyance but also DK was at equal top score in the league but Brandon's two in the FA Cup actually just take him as the overall top scorer so as i say not too bad on that one however uh, we 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 then predicted how many goals that player would score and i went with 26 you went on 25 which is which is some way short of the 7 that he actually scored um i just don't think we 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 quite expected um quite so many injuries for the for the big american unfortunately most goal contributions in the squad Absolutely correct. We we both went with Swift, so we both get a point there. Um, Swift got 15 goal contributions overall. That's goals plus assists for anybody who's unsure on that one. Now, this one we had a mare on. Will Bruce last the season? Both of us said yes. What were we thinking? We didn't want him in the first place, and then we predicted him to last the season. I think we just didn't have any faith in Gourlay sacking him. I think that's probably about right, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I suppose we both predicted fourth as well, so I think we thought he'd do a bit better than he... They actually, would having us in twenty fourth, but yeah, go.
1: I think I think you basically said that the players would work it out for themselves um, in the preseason pod. So I don't I don't know whether it, it, that that backing of fourth and Bruce to last the season was any kind of an endorsement of Steve Bruce. I just think you thought we had too many good players for us to do as quite as badly as we did. But yeah, we let, let's put it this way: we certainly didn't have us bottom after seventeen games, and Bruce to get the uh, the sack after thirteen. Um, well, we both got this one right. Will the loan be repaid? no and it still hasn't so um i mean that that was that was about as obvious as as saying um do dogs bark you know there wasn't really there wasn't really much of a much of a prediction there to be honest third shirt we, we both got it correct it was it was red you even went red with a nice navy trim pete so um i'm, I'm not throwing you extra points for that but you know they got got some nice detail in there which was lovely um charity match i went morrison you went brunt which we should have just guessed that it was going to be a handshake draw shouldn't we let's be honest um so no no points there um supporters player of the year i went wallace you went swift malumbi picks up the prize so that put us after nine questions on three correct each. And the same three, I might add. The loan being not being repaid, the shirt, third shirt being red, and most gold contribution, contributions coming from Swift. So which leaves us down to who got the most disciplinary points. Do you remember what you said?
0: Did I say Furlong?
1: You did indeed. Darnell Furlong, Pete. Got seven yellow cards. Do you remember who I said?
0: I've had to guess now. I'd say Mulumbi.
1: Did say Mulumbi. 10 yellow cards, the most in the squad.
0: Pic- there you go. It sounds pic- like it's your win.
1: Pipped you at the post with four to three, but I've got to be honest. Um, getting four out of ten uh, it doesn't feel like a win, so I'm taking absolutely no glory in that. And I would also like to point out, we didn't do a pod on this, but we did. Um, we did post on social media our uh, one to twenty four, and Pete absolutely stuffed me on his predicting of the league table. Pete, you got in the in the exact correct position you got Burnley, Watford, Reading and Wigan all in the exact position that they, that they finished, but far more significantly than that. You predicted four of the top six and two of the three relegated teams. Um, Whereas I only, I predicted three of the top six and only one of the three relegated teams. So, Whilst, uh, whilst you know, you you maybe didn't call all of the preseason predictions. I have to say, four out of the top six and two out of three relegated is pretty impressive, mate. So, um, I, I applaud you on that. And uh, clearly, clearly, you know your stuff on that uh, on that one on the championship overall far better than uh, than I. I think to get. Four teams placed exactly, as well as uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. So, uh, all credit to you on that one. Well played, sir. Well played.
0: Cheers, mate. But uh, I think that's a bit more luck than anything. I've just been uh, some predictions for other people that I've done it with, and I was one of the worst ranked in there. So, I think I must have had different predictions for that one.
1: <laughs> you you saved the best for us, mate, and that's all that matters. Well, we shall leave it there, but don't worry. Just because the season's over does not mean we are done. As I said before, we're going to do similar to what we did last season. We're going to go through each area of the squad, and we are going to look at the players that Albion have got and who they should stay and who we feel who should stay and who we feel should go and who is realistic to go. And we will also throw a couple of names into the mix if we think that players are required in those positions. We will have a little look and see who there is knocking about. I think basically this is going to involve Pete and I uh, trawling the free agents list if we're truthful because I don't think we expect Albion to have money for any transfer fees. But we will have a little look and see who is available that we think Albion should be looking at. So we will do uh, a podcast for the goalkeepers and defenders in the squad, a podcast for the midfielders and a podcast for the forwards. So please join us for that. We will be back um, for the, that podcast to have a look o- over those. We'll also be doing podcasts as we did over, uh, over last summer for if. <laughs> this this is a big if, given our financial situation. If Albion do sign some players, we will try and do a podcast to have a look at each, each of those, especially if they're significant signings. And who knows? Then we might chuck in a couple of cheeky specials as well if we can if we can get those organized. But until next time, thanks for listening and of the back. by fans.